Hello and welcome to the Growing Mums podcast with me, Kira Hawkins. I'm a primary school teacher and ordinary mum of two, trying to muddle through motherhood and learn from my mistakes along the way. Here we will be talking all things modern parenting, from baby and toddler sleep to self-development and growth. We will be having those raw conversations that we often don't get a chance to have in the playground and we will be searching for those moments where we find connection through shared experiences. So get ready for some expert advice as well as insightful motherhood confessions. Let's get started. Hello everybody. Thank you so much for your feedback on the first episode. Um, Everybody was really complimentary and I am so grateful. It literally means the world. So thank you. Uh, This is a very exciting episode for me. And I think for lots of parents, whenever I listen to a podcast, a parenting podcast, I will go to the one that is about sleep first. So Uh, Without further ado, I will introduce the absolutely amazing sleep coach mum. Her name is Eleni. She's a mum of three. She really knows her stuff and she's very experienced. And she is talking to us about sleep training. Now, I want to note that sleep training covers a whole range of things, of methods. And it's not always the, um, the awful thing that it can be painted as. Now, I know this is controversial amongst some crowds, but I would really love it if you would stick with us, stick with the podcast, even if you don't agree with this episode. But I honestly, personally, um, sleep training has saved me from a really dark place in the past. So uh, I want you to go in without judgment because we all just are doing our best here. I really hope you enjoy the episode and I cannot wait to hear your thoughts. Hello. And can I just check that I'm saying your name right? Eleni. Yeah. Yeah. Eleni. No, it's such a beautiful name. But anyway, how are you, Eleni? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Yeah. So it's like midday where you are. Is that right? Yeah. Like 1130. By the way, say your name for me. Yeah. Okay. My name is confusing. (laughs) My name's Kira. Kira. That's okay. That's what I was going to say. So, you know, like... Now with the British accent. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But like Kira Kira Knightley or yeah. I mean that's yeah. the only famous Kira I know. But yes, yeah. it's the same as that basically. Okay. Um okay. but yeah, anyway, it's so lovely. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast because oh my goodness, it's so exciting to have a sleep coach on oh my goodness. This is <laughs> I feel like this will be the most listened to episode of the whole series. We'll see. I, I hope it's helpful. Sleep is important. <laughs> sleep is life. Sleep is the most important thing, honestly, as you know, this is, I'm sure that's why you do this work. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So would you, could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Uh, Yeah, I am a mom of three girls. I used to be an English teacher for high school students. And if you would have like asked me in my high school days of like anti-authority, like, you know, 
damn the man, Eleni, uh, I never would have been like, oh yeah, I'm working in the mom world years from now. <laughs> but here I am. Um, I I started getting into this a bit after I had my first daughter, and I I wasn't fully prepared for the newborn sleep deprivation. I remember experiencing really deep depression and anxiety and rage that, in my opinion, was induced by the, like, I mean, like, obviously just having to care for another being and the whole change that happens when you become a mother. But um, but the sleep deprivation really affected me. Um, and then I got to a point where I, I had read all the books. I had done all this stuff. I got my daughter sleeping. Uh, and then I became a little bit too sleep obsessed where my family, it was like, it was an issue. Um, and so <laughs> somewhere in that, so I won't even say the names they called me, um, but I was sleep obsessed. It was a lot. Uh, and I, I got into this world and got certified when I was pregnant with my second daughter um, because I, I feel like I wanted to kind of find that balance of helping moms get sleep, but also not go over into this realm of like sleep being this crazy triggering, like all consuming runs your life. Like I've experienced both ends of those things. And I, although sleep is important, like, you know, it, there are other things that are, that are more important. <laughs> so <laughs> I completely kind of, kind get of what you're saying. Yeah. So are you, are you sort of saying, you're you're kind of helping people to get like a sleep routine and a rhythm going but you're not going to say you have to do this every single day of your life including Christmas exactly which I feel like that's when I take intake calls that's kind of what I say is that like when we work together I really do I do start out a little bit rigid and I it's just so that I can see what moving parts there are and like where we need to tweak things but that once we're done I don't I don't want them to have that rigidity in their life like it can be dangerous I, I honestly feel that a, a routine can set you free. Like yes. just knowing that you've got that routine to fall back on, that is your freedom there because you don't have to stick to it, but you're not consumed by constantly trying to get your child to nap on the go and because they yep. won't nap at home or whatever it is. Yeah, it's so funny because I uh, one of the reels that I tried to post that literally took 24 hours to load and I was just like, forget this. And I ditched it was that, that there is freedom in having a schedule. I remember also feeling a lot of anxiety when I didn't have a sleep schedule and being like, okay, I need to schedule her doctor's appointment, but I don't know what time of day she's going to be sleeping. And am I going to have to wake her up? And is she going to be getting shots when she, you know what I mean? So I am so with you. Knowing when nap time is helps you make plans. <laughs> Absolutely. I basically what you're describing is exactly what I went through with my first. Um, I I couldn't plan anything, and my whole day was like, is she slow? Is she showing a sleepy cue? Should I be trying to get her to go to sleep? Try yeah. again in ten minutes. And like, actually, with my second, I was like, I can't do that. I cannot carry on doing this. So then I got into. I mean we'll go on to this we're actually he's actually been ill and so that's gone or skew if but mm-hmm. when we have our routine like that is what keeps us all going for the day knowing when he is going to be down I get time with my daughter and just time not running around after a crazy baby it, it is honestly such a game changer yeah it's true I agree with you <laughs> yeah 100 percent. but yeah. it's interesting um that you say like you don't want to be really rigid because I guess there are a lot of parents out there well, you know, probably you as well and me with your first child, potentially, you think sleep training, that's loads of crying. I'm really scared. So tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about your methods. And by the way, no judgment from me, because I feel like I over the years, I've tried every single method from complete like boob all night to screaming. Like I've done mm-hmm. it all just to try and get some sleep. So you tell yeah. us what you 
what tends to be your thing? My go-to. Um, I always am pretty transparent with with the families I work with that I I use a wide range of methods to answer your first question um, that can all involve a little bit of crying on on your child's part only because number one, that's like a, a very natural thing that babies do. And oftentimes the families that come to me even when they're trying to like, they're trying to go this gentle route of rocking their baby fully to sleep, right? There's crying that takes place even then, you know? So it's something that babies do. Uh, And so I'm pretty transparent that I try to set things up for like optimal success in getting proper scheduling, all of the stuff that could work against your child. Um, Like an overtired baby is going to cry more than a a baby that is well-rested, right? So I try to get all yeah, of those things all experience that, but it's true. Um, so I, I mean, there are methods that involve the parents being very fully present in the room with the child, lots of physical touch, um, and then very, very gradually and slowly kind of back, like backing away from that, um, or even still being fully present and just like taking it super slowly. Uh, it takes a longer time. Um, my hat is, I, I just finished up with parents that were in Norway, um, who, who wanted to do a more hands-on approach with their child. And I always get like itchy. Like I, I'm like, you should just leave the room. Like just leave the room. <laughs> Cause that's what I, I would do graduated checks with my own children. Um, but in their case, I'm like, you'll get faster results and they, they're cool with the slow and steady. Like they understand it takes a longer time. It takes a patient person. I am not a patient person. Um, and then Absolutely it can also be same. Yeah. So I, I want, I want the results also for my clients, not only for myself. Uh, and so anything from super hands-on to, supporting your child while still having a little bit of distance. Um, I don't often time. I actually, I'm, you know, the extinction method that is out there that involves just like, you know, putting your child to sleep and then leaving completely. I would have to say, I don't think I've worked with any clients on doing that. There's always some level of just like reassurance um, with your child, but it really depends on the parents' personalities and what their goals are. Absolutely. So that sounds like perfect because you basically gauge where the parents are at with it and what they're comfortable doing. And then because actually that's kind of even more important than what's going on with the child, isn't it? Because whatever you do, you have to be so consistent with it from then Mm -hmm. on, don't you, for it to kind of work. Um, So that's really interesting. So you basically have got you you go from all manners of methods, but you do controlled crying would be like the harshest thing you would do but not yeah I'm not you know I'm not saying harsh I like this is completely non-judgmental because I actually right. think like all parents just have different tolerance levels and some people are more sleep deprived and don't cope with it as well or whatever you know totally. for me I've done like the breastfeeding co-sleeping all night I've done the controlled crying and then I've done a little bit of extinction in the end. I mean, I wouldn't say anyway, I've I've tried it all. And yeah. I have to say, because I just needed quick results, doing a little bit of crying has worked better because otherwise, I mean, but it's basically what anyone can tolerate, isn't it? I mean, we all just want some sleep really. And none of us want to hear our kids crying nope. for us. But um, also there is the whole thing about a short, you know, a few days of crying actually could potentially save months of crying yeah. in the, or, you know, from everyone. So yeah, anyway, it's really also, interesting. It's funny to me. I mean, like, and again, non-judgment, I, I get defensive when people attack sleep training because I, I'm not sure what it's like in the UK, but AAP guidelines very clearly say that you're not supposed to bed share, that it ups the risk of SIDS, there's risk for suffocation, all of this stuff. 
And I, I do feel like there are sleep coaches out there who shame people for that unintentionally, or sometimes maybe intentionally. Um, and I, I'm defensive of that too. Like, I feel like we're all mothers who need to find this sleep is important to all of us. And for some people, you know, bed sharing with their child in a way that they, they've weighed the risks, right? If they decide to do that, we shouldn't be shaming them for it because they're just trying to get sleep. And if we are doing something that involves a little bit of crying on our child's part, but we're also still emotionally supportive to our child, like mm. it's our, it's our child. It's our family. <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, and I yes, also, I completely get what you're saying and agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have thoughts about like, um, like we, we let our kids cry for a number of reasons. My youngest hated the car seat and still sometimes does. And we still buckle her into the car seat, even though she's crying. I, my older kids, I say that they can't have TV at this hour. They cry about it, right? There, there are these boundaries that we set with our kids and they cry, but suddenly when it's surrounding bedtime, we're a horrible monster who's destroying our child. Like I, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I completely know what you mean. I suppose like, and there's so much shaming, like both sides. And I guess it comes from a place of like really sleep deprived parents who are perhaps co-sleeping feel really defensive about not sleep training because, um, well, I often feel like when I've been in a place where basically ultimately I'm not really comfortable with something, I, kind of so like I wasn't really comfortable or happy doing that even though you know some people just love that but for me that was not getting me the most sleep and I was really suffering from it um and so I kind of was like but people who sleep train that's just the easy way and that's cruel but then I think when you do it and you're on the other side and you realize how amazing it can be um you're like where am I going with this I think basically the shaming comes from a a kind of place of jealousy I might be wrong in saying that about a lot of people but for me I was jealous of those people that were getting sleep and I was like that's just the easy option do you know what I mean whereas actually once you're getting sleep you don't feel the need to shame anyone because you're just like happy in what you're doing um (laughs) (laughs) so yeah anyway and then you know the same goes for uh but I I find in the UK this might just be what I'm reading but I find there's like there's a lot of so gentle parenting is like really sort of popular here is it the same oh yes yeah 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 and obviously it's great you know we all want to like look after our kids emotions and and like bring up these resilient kids but at what cost to our mental health so for me if I don't get sleep that is really really like damaging my my life um (laughs) so uh sorry where am I trying to go with this I'm really sorry I keep going on this tangent I'm here for the ride of wherever you're taking you but let's go but what I'm going where I'm going with this I suppose (laughs) is that (laughs) is that sleep training um is potentially like not very popular Mm -hmm. amongst some crowds here and there's a lot of shaming about it like you're just neglecting your child's needs there like you were saying um but actually like at what cost to the what cost to the parents if you're not doing that like and the people who do sleep train might not kind of shout uh, shout about it because they might feel a bit ashamed that like I did leave my child to cry but actually we're all so much happier because of it and you don't yeah. really want to like rub that into people that aren't getting any sleep yeah i i remember a very angry message i got from this woman and it's like i feel like social media is just like ugh, you could do you could do a 
podcast episode on social media and parenting. Like it's just such a the wild west. Um, but there was yes. an angry message I got from a woman, like in the middle of the day, which I don't know any other circumstances besides social media where like you just get angry words thrown at you in the middle of the day. You're like, well, I was just drinking my coffee. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but she she said something along the lines of like accounts like mine shouldn't exist. I am like peddling child abuse, basically. And like I I was, you know, hormonal and near my period. So when I've, mm-hmm. I've learned now to compartmentalize, like I'm not checking comments <laughs> during that time, <laughs> but this woman kind of taught me that anyway, her message was like that I'm doing all these terrible things. Um, and it was very clear to me in hindsight, like this woman must've been exhausted and didn't have the support that she needed. Or on the flip side of it, if let's say she's just this angry person who feels like she's an activist, right? And she's like speaking for all mothers and, you know, all children. She's speaking for all children that she doesn't like she genuinely feels like she's protecting them, which is fine. Um, Now, where am I going with this? Uh (laughs) No, it's fine. I mean, this is what podcasting is about. Like we do go off on tangents and it's great. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so, yeah. So when she messaged me this, I, I was wondering if it's one of those two things. And if it is the the judgment, my response to her was like, where does the mother's mental health factor into all of this? And how, Mm. and like, if her needs aren't being met, if co-sleeping is not working for her, if she's still not rested, and on top of that, she doesn't have any personal space, and she's in sensory overload all the time, and it's causing her to fly into a rage. And this leads to those like very scary things where parents do horrific things to their children. Like, Mm. at what point do you consider her mental health? Mm. You know, is controlled crying going to affect your child long-term more than a mother who is like somewhere else? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's, I think you're absolutely right. Like, I think this whole gentle parenting thing, I think it's incredible that psychologists, we've got the research now to say like what we need to be doing with our kids. And, you know, it's the current research and maybe in 20 years, there'll be new research to say something mm. else. Yep. Um, but with all this research is kind of putting so much pressure on us to be this incredible gentle parent. And it is just really hard to, to also nurture ourselves, like top up ourselves in doing that because just of the way that life is now working needing to have everything under control and um something's got to give and actually I think people are realizing this like I've seen a few books coming out recently ones by like Anna Mather Martha and here and um they're sort of saying how to look after yourself as well as your children um so I'm hoping and I and also this is like a big part of my aim as well is because you know I think we all know now kind of what we should be doing with our kids we need to acknowledge their feelings we need to validate them we need to be there Mm -hmm. for them emotionally but like actually that takes out of us so much so I think this needs to be the new thing is like how can we do that and also do that for ourselves as well yeah 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 it's also interesting um because you mentioned like there's that gentle parenting world which um I've spoke to a lot of parenting coaches who you know they're coaching parents through what gentle parenting is and I think there's like this crossover where people believe that gentle parenting is what I hear them calling permissive parenting or, you know, um, that you like, the, or I guess mm-hmm. there's so many different 
parenting <laughs> titles. Yeah, it's a minefield um, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But in gentle parenting, you do set boundaries with your children. And in mm. my opinion, setting a boundary around bedtime is it it's a, it's just another boundary. Um mm. But yeah, I, I I have a lot of thoughts about that as well, where people feel like they have to subscribe to one parenting style where it's like, there's no room for being human or like, mm. you know, or, or authenticity if we're subscribing completely to like one approach to something, you know, it's just not realistic. And you, ha- how, you said you have three kids? I've got two kids. Two kids. Yeah. Oh, you have three different things. That's what I, that's where I did the math. Yeah, but- maybe. Yeah. <laughs> But like you, anybody who has more than one child knows that what works for one child might not be mm. what works for another child, you know? Um, but and, and also what works for you with one child doesn't necessarily work for you because like I found I've had to completely change my style of parenting to now adapt to two and to keep myself sane. Yeah. Um, and with three, I cannot even imagine what it's like with three. Oh my goodness, you're hardcore. I'm a puppet right now. I'm just, there's no soul in me. <laughs> <laughs> no three is the same as two that's I don't know there it's all chaos <laughs> yeah it's basically all chaos isn't it just from the day yeah. you give birth but <laughs> but yeah anyway no and it's lovely and I have to say like I you know don't get me wrong I'm still sleep deprived like my kids have got chicken pox you know we, it's not like we get loads of sleep in fact we'll I've got some we've got some questions from listeners to ask you later so mm-hmm. we'll make sure we get onto them and I was going to ask you about my son who has basically been a nightmare sleeper from the get-go but okay. um yeah uh, I've co-set with both of them actually up okay. till like a point um mm-hmm. but he's now doing early waking like every single morning at five mm-hmm. and wants to and like I think it's hunger mm-hmm. and I don't know what to do about it we, now we're on to it what what can are you do you mind answering these sorts Not of questions that you don't have to give like all your sleep training secrets out but maybe just a couple of tips there's I mean there I wouldn't say that there are secrets in the baby sleep basics guide that I have. It's like the foundational stuff that kind of helps with these things. So it's not secrets anymore. It's out there. (laughs) Yeah. uh, How old is your son? So he's 15 months. Okay. Is okay. So what I first do when I'm working with clients, because sometimes it's scheduling related. So what Mm -hmm. is the schedule? Okay. So his schedule has basically been, um, if he sleeps till like six, half six, then he'll have one long nap about 12 till one thirty or 12, 30 till two thirty. sometimes like one and a half to two hour nap in the middle of the day and then go down about 645. Mm-hmm. Um, but then because he's been early waking, he's been wanting a little nap at about nine. And it's usually when I'm trying to go out with my daughter. So he'll have it in the car and like, 15 minutes 20 minutes half an hour and then I'll try and put him down at lunchtime maybe slightly later but he just won't go to sleep then and then it's a total nightmare so he ends up maybe having like 40 minutes around lunchtime at some point and then is going to bed same time but then waking at five again Mm. and how long has the 5 a.m wake up been happening well, I'd say it's been happening a good 10 days or so, but usually he is quite an early waker anyway. Like it's around six usually. Mm-hmm. You were saying, cause you said that his whole life, he's been kind of a bad sleeper. Yeah. So like basically until we did some sleep training at, uh, eight months, he'd never slept for more than two hours. Then he still wasn't sleeping long chunks at all. And so we got a sleep consultant. This is before I heard about you, um, an <laughs> online sleep consultant. Um, <laughs> He was he was basically 
having all his calories at night, like three huge mm-hmm. bottles. I had to stop breastfeeding because I just was so exhausted. I needed some help with the sleep. And so he started having bottles, but then got obsessed with bottles and rather than having food and was drinking all this milk at night. Anyway, now he doesn't have any milk at night, but I think he's waking early because he's hungry because he seems starving and wants to eat as soon as he comes down. Yeah. But he's he's been off bottles in the nighttime for quite a while. Yeah. It's like okay couple of months month or two yeah six weeks okay um because I mean sometimes it can be normal for there to be a spell of earlier waking when a child does drop night feedings just because of what you mentioned and it takes some time to adjust are you rushing into him at 5 a.m or what are you doing yeah you are so we're tending to rush in yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah um so sometimes what I mean it's really hard when you have more than one kid it's like I feel like all I, I, I know that like the rules are right. You're not, if your child has slept through the night, you're not supposed to feed them in that 5am hour or whatever. Right. And I, I know that I broke those rules when I had another child sleep to preserve. I'm like, I don't want two children at 5am. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. that's it. Um, <laughs> it's too early for two. Um, but sometimes that, I, I mean, sometimes it's a reinforced thing, which by the way, to back this up, my oldest daughter, whenever she went through something developmental, she always woke before 6 a.m. And it's like so triggering for me. So I just want to gentle parent and and validate your feelings because I hate 5 a.m. Like that's it's. Oh, thank you. It's <laughs> awful because it you think it's fine, but then it basically just really catches up with you later on in the day. And you're like, this is awful. Yeah, it's terrible. It really is terrible. Um, Unless you're alone in the 5 a.m. hour and you've chosen to wake up at that time. But whatever, that's a different yeah. But why would anyone do that? Well, basically, I think it's great. Maybe if you don't have kids, but if you have kids, then yeah. (laughs) You you get time to yourself, but it's still exhausting. Um, That's true. So yeah. So in the, usually what I would suggest if all, all is well schedule wise, um, which I think you're saying that he naps, he does that morning nap and that kind of ruins his afternoon nap, right? Yeah. So some things that you might want to play with, which is funny because sometimes the remedy there's like a million different paths that we could go down, but sometimes the remedy is giving them that 15 minute nap in the morning and then pushing that second nap a bit later. Uh, and then you naturally achieve like a bit of a later bedtime. Um, so sometimes that does help. I'm not sure if you're still trying to nap him at the same time he normally does midday when he's taken that 15 minute power nap. Well, basically I've tried doing it all different times. Like Mm -hmm. yesterday I tried to do it at normal time and he was having none of it. Basically he's now refusing the cot at any time if he's had a little nap and Mm -hmm. maybe it's overtiredness I don't know but um if he's had a little nap he basically just refuses to go to sleep like without my like he my husband rocked him for ages and he was just screaming at him anyway so yeah Hmm. okay I mean because sometimes that 15 minute nap in the morning and then trying to have the the next nap be around like 1 p.m and then you get like a little bit of a later stretch before bed and sometimes that remedies it other times keeping them up like keeping them up until their normal nap time, like play Metallica in the car or whatever, um, <laughs> to keep them awake and then get them to nap time. Sometimes doing that for like a seven day period can help. Um, I'm not sure if he's a lower sleep needs or not, which that's why I'm saying there's all these different avenues uh, and why coaching can be so important is because you are, you get this information, you find out more about the child because there are some kids who have a lower sleep needs. And if he does have lower sleep needs and there, you would have to play with the timing on either end of that nap. Um, 
I, I think yeah, you, that's interesting. Yeah. How long is he up like between his nap and bedtime? Because you said he's in bed around 6.45. Yeah. So I would say he's usually up around, if he wakes up around 2.30ish, that seems to work quite well. But then tonight, today he got up about quarter to three and my husband still put him down. So my husband, we, we, sorry, we've gone really deep into this. Um, yeah. I won't take up any more of your time on this. No, it's good. Um, it's but so, but I should play, but basically I think that's really interesting because I think he probably is a bit lower sleep needs, but then I do worry, is it overtiredness? Like, yeah. Cause with two, you just can't look after them like properly. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I always make the joke that my first daughter had this big elaborate like bedtime routine. We had like a projector light on the wall and we had like, yeah, we held her in the second. Just like, yeah. Nice. I don't even care. Just go. (laughs) Can't give them that attention. Um, But yeah, I mean, if he is lower sleep needs and that's, that's the rub with the lower sleep needs kids is like, it's this very fine line (laughs) that you need to toe very carefully. Um, so I might play with that. And if at all possible, because he's also at the age where language development is going to be on the upswing. And so it could really just be like a weird developmental blip that's happening. Um, Mm. yeah, which this is the age like around this time and it can happen anywhere between now and two years old. I oftentimes see it when they're starting to say like one, like they're starting to master more words. And then I see it again, whatever their go-to like sleep problem is. I see it again when they start to string more words together. Um, so it could be. It that could is just very be- interesting because he is just starting to talk. Like okay. he's just starting to show more of an interest. So perhaps okay. it's that. Yeah, it really might be related. And if there's any way at all um, to start spacing out how quickly it is you rush in there, um, because the stimulation that he can get in those early morning hours is only helping his biological clock, like, you know, solidify. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Running out of time. but I uh, know, we might have to, sorry, we might have to like leave and then come back. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, But yeah, so that, that could be reinforcing the wake up. So it could be developmental. I would try to give him space if there's a way for your like your to double up on sound machines or something just temporarily so you can start spacing out when you go in there. But any mm-hmm. like lights, communication, whatever, that's just hardwiring his brain to be like, oh, okay, this is like time to get up. Um, so if you could space that out, that could help potentially too. Yeah. Okay. That's really, thank you. You've actually given me some really good tips on that, that I'm definitely going to try. Thank you. Yeah. Good yeah, luck. thank you so much. Do you Whatever know why I would stick to it for a bit before like, you know, giving up? I feel like that's the problem with a lot of things that parents try. It's like, oh, I I, I did a later bedtime. I was like, how long do you do a later bedtime for? For two days. That's not enough. Like it's not enough time to see if that's working or not. So five to seven days minimum, I would try any one of those things. Okay, that's amazing. Yeah, I think you're so right. Like you do have to do it consistently to actually see if it's because it's, if two days, it might just be a fluke. That actually brings me on to a question that I have eight minutes, 42 left. Let's try. I reckon we can do this question in this time. We can try it. <laughs> okay. Okay. This brings me on to a question um, from one of our listeners, actually, because she said, so she obviously has quite a young baby. I don't know how old her baby is, but maybe nine months or something. Um, mm-hmm. And she said, is there such a thing as being too strict on sleep, i.e. at what point do we go from go with the flow, which I, which mm-hmm. you do for the newborn, don't you, to mm-hmm. sleep training? And then she said, a friend said that sleep training was the worst thing she ever did. 
So mm. I think she's kind of asking, when should she start? Like she's obviously finding the sleep hard, but she and she's thinking, should I be sleep training? But then she's a bit worried about what it might be like. Yeah. And I think this, sorry, I will just say this. I think this is such a good question because basically when you have the baby, the midwives are like, feed on demand, feed on demand, go with the flow. Mm. And then mm. at what point do you stop doing that? Right. Um, well, I, I think that there is a balance between tuning into your baby, which that's again, like the issue. I feel like there are these prescribed things like, right. Ferber method. You're supposed to go in at five minutes and then 10 minutes or whatever, like, you know, the graduated intervals, maybe that's not what your kid needs. And there's like this fine line between seeing the blueprint, like this is what I'm supposed to be doing, but I also can cater it to my child. Like is maybe my child only needs five minutes, like every five minutes I need to be in there and that's helping my child. Right. So um, so I think there's a balance between figuring out what our gut and our child is telling us and what, you know, professionals are telling us to do. Um, but with that said, going back to the original question, um, so somewhere around four to five months, they transition from four to three naps. And what I like to see is starting to push at that time toward like nap a nap schedule. So Mm -hmm. anywhere between like four to six months, honestly, is the time, like the prime time for sleep training and for moving more toward like a schedule. Um, But again, also making room for like, if you're, because we don't have, you know, some days we might be hungrier than others. So it's okay if you're, you know, the, the hot thing that's out there is eat, play, sleep, right? You're supposed to that that's some sort of routine. Um, but I full transparency oftentimes would do eat, play, eat, sleep, right. On the days mm-hmm. that my child was hungrier and that's fine too, you know? Um, yeah. so having some sort of like idea of structure in your head, but if your child seems more exhausted than usual, you don't have to do the second nap at 1230. You can do it at 12, right? Like, yeah. so making space for your kid to be human, but again, between four and six months old, I think is probably a good time to to focus on that. Yeah, I mean that's really interesting. I was going to ask basically, I kind of knew that when with both my kids I'd like researched it a bit because I just need sleep. Um mm-hmm. but I I couldn't sleep chain my kids until they could roll over and like crawl and get themselves comfy. I just couldn't yeah. leave the cry at all like just being flat on their back and that's just me. But yeah. is it okay? <laughs> To do it when they're flat on their back? Yeah, just yeah. when they can't move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, it is. Um, but I totally get what you're saying. And honestly, what what parents might see when, like, let's say they sleep train their child at four months old and their child's not yet rolling. And then four and a half months old, they start to roll. They might see like a little disruption in their child's sleep because their child is now learning these new positions to sleep in. Um So it might be even like if you can hang on and you can wait until your child is like six months, right? And they're able to like roll from all angles and you're sure of it, um, that that might be the better time just for you to feel better also. Like, okay, they can move into these new positions and find like comfort, um, but it's it's okay to start before that. Yeah, no, it's really interesting because some babies are just comfy on their backs as well, aren't they? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. So four to six months, but also we're saying she doesn't have to, she can do it if and when she wants to. But what I was going to ask is, do you think kids can just sleep, start sleeping through without any form of sleep training? I know it totally depends how they fall asleep, you know, what their situation is, but say you co-sleep or maybe you've managed to get them in their own room and you Mm -hmm. go into them, but they're falling asleep maybe with you. Mm -hmm. Will they ever just sleep through without you doing anything? 
There are some kids who do, which is like, it's wild um, that the, yeah, there are unicorns. Some- <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but there, there have been actually a few clients who have, I remember back when like lockdown happened, I was doing these things called sleep sprints and there was a Canadian mom. We're now friends. We're supposed to do zoom and make pretzels together. I just don't know when we're at <laughs> her old daughter. She now has a younger daughter, very different beast. Um, but her yeah. older daughter was going to sleep nursing. I think it was nursing. Um, and she was sleeping long stretches and she reached out and wanted to join the sleep sprint and she wanted her daughter to go down independently. And I, and I asked her why, like, why do you want to? And she's like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, she's sleeping great. Why don't you, if it's not broken and you're happy, like you don't need to fix it. Um, and she never had to do any formal sleep training with that daughter. She's just a mellow kid, right? Wow. Um, yeah, is able to do it with sleeping. She ended up sleeping through the night on her own. They continued that nursing to sleep, made mom happy, made baby happy. It was fine. Uh, her younger daughter was not like that. So yeah, wow. It really is like a, a crapshoot of what works and what doesn't. Um, <laughs> there can be things that you can do for like, there, there's another client I'm thinking of with her older son. She, she did not want to sleep train adamantly against it. She ended up sleep training much later um, when he became more difficult, but he wasn't sleeping well. And I was like, okay, let's just tweak his schedule, do this. And her, and he started sleeping through the night, just tweaking his schedule, but he was still being rocked to sleep. Like it wasn't, it was just a scheduling thing. So there are things you can play with first and see if that helps. Uh, if you don't want to go the sleep training route and then, you know, there are some yeah. babies and babies or families that need it. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's really interesting. I haven't had one of these kids that like, it seems to me, unless mine are falling asleep on their own in their own room, they're just not sleeping at all. Um, So, (laughs) and that seems to be like kind of, you know, sort of normal. So um, basically we're saying guys, it's completely up to you. It's sleep training is only there as a tool for you to fall back on when you really need it. Um, and sleep training is covers a whole realm of methods. It doesn't have to be leaving them in their own room to scream. Yeah. Um, and yeah. when I, I'd be, con- I'd be curious to have a conversation with the friend of whoever posted that question, um, why it was the worst thing they ever did. Um, because oftentimes what I see is families are kind of fumbling in the dark with sleep training, um, during those sleep sprints that I held, there was a woman, it really affected me emotionally. She was like, she went in, I explained to her the expectations, there might be some tears, whatever. Um, And there was some sort of lack of communication. I gave her the schedule to follow, but she had failed to tell me that her child just refused naps all day. And that Mm -hmm. was the night she wanted to start sleep training. And if I had known that, I would have told her like, don't, don't do it because it's going to be a disaster. And there was so much crying, like she had to stop doing it and she had to pull back for a day before she came back and like chatted with me and it emotionally affected her. I get that. Like, Mm. uh, but I'd be curious because sometimes parents are keeping their kids up way too late and the crying is just not what it would be if you were following a proper schedule. Yeah, it's so true. I think it's not worth like fumbling around in the dark. I definitely did that at the start with my first and actually it goes horribly wrong. And basically there's so much unnecessary crying from everyone and stress. But if you're following a plan, you're just going to stick to it. You're both, you know, whoever can support you will be doing it with you and it's going to work way better. Yeah. Um, Right. We're back. Please start a podcast. I will be your number one subscriber. Because <laughs> um, I just think parents will never get bored of sleep. I mean, how do your older kids sleep now? 
Yeah, really, they sleep really well, but I feel like it it is never ending. And I'm also, I'm curious to see firsthand experience, like when my kids get even older, like my two older ones are now at the point where in the morning we have like the hatch light that lets them know when it's okay to come get us. But on the weekends, they've just been going into our playroom and playing Barbies. And then my, wow. my husband and I just sleep. It's, <laughs> oh it's my goodness. <laughs> so... Wow. My baby, or she's not even a baby, she's a toddler now, but she stays in her crib a little bit longer. But she's like, she's happy. (laughs) Wow. So, how old are your kids? My oldest is going to be eight in June. My middle is five, and my youngest just turned two. How old are you? You have got your hands full. Yeah. So, I've got um, 15 months and then a three and a half year old. I think your hands are, are more full. (laughs) I guess I guess with I don't know but some people say that the older one helps like just like like you say with the going in and playing with the Barbies I guess the five-year-old wouldn't do that without the eight-year-old yeah right yeah yeah my my oldest didn't do it at five that's for sure yeah yeah 15 months is tough too they're at like that age where they are like they're independent but like they don't have any sense (laughs) so it's dangerous (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh it's so dangerous like yeah. he's been to A&E twice like I've been I went to A&E last week because he's had the same injury because they stick their fingers in everything yeah. and he's had his finger sliced open twice and so now we've had oh to like God. baby proof every single door um yeah I'm gonna get social services if he does it for yeah, a third time <laughs> literally I Every time I've taken my kids to urgent care or like the ER, I'm just like, I swear I'm, I didn't, she did it herself. <laughs> she fell out of the car. I know. I know. <laughs> it's yeah. awful, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah, no, he and, and my son is just chaos. But anyway, like he's lovely. But also I actually, I can do the days as long as they're sleeping at night. I literally yeah. don't mind as long as they're sleeping at night, which at the moment they're not, well, you know, not. like they had a little period of not because of chickenpox but um if I can just get him sleeping a little bit later like my life will be so much better so yeah yeah, Yeah. he will thank you so that and to those listeners who aren't getting any sleep we know how awful it is and we see your pain and if there's anything that Eleanor can do to help please get in touch with her because (laughs) I promise that sleep training you know we're calling it sleep training and I know that freaks a lot of people out but just sleep teaching it will literally change your life and and that for that person that said like sleep training is the worst thing she's ever done I think maybe she wasn't doing it consistently or maybe she didn't have support or a plan or like you say whatever um but for the majority of people I think they would say it's probably the best one of the best things they've ever done yeah yeah and even if anybody just has questions about it I feel like I try to approach it very much from like I'm not I'm not trying to shove it down anybody's throat. And like I had mentioned before, I've I've turned people away when they have called me and I'm like this first of all you don't need it. Like if you're enjoying nursing your child to sleep like and everything's fine, your mental health is great, keep doing that. Or other times where clients have come to me and it it sounds like there's pressure from external forces and I was like what do you want? Like, are you happy right now? And if you're happy, then who cares? Like, keep yeah. posting, you know, like, whatever. <laughs> that's it. You're not making anyone do anything they don't want to. Like, if people love co-sleeping, that's amazing. I wish I was one of those people, you know. I'm sure it's great for everyone if you all yeah. love it. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not for me. I don't even want my husband's foot touching me 
no same but I do always wonder yeah just like the biggest bed possible so that you don't yeah. have to get anywhere near each other exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly but I do wonder whether that comes from like being put in your cot on your own as a child to then you then want to be on your own as an adult it's interesting though yeah I I I totally and it's funny because I saw a post today um which I'm always interested in hearing what the other side is saying and I really appreciate it when they say what they say respectfully and this one was pretty respectful and it was like a flow chart of like should you sleep train your child um and it was like it kind of went down like further in it went down this rabbit hole of like do you know that the studies are inconclusive about whether or not it like ruins you know parental bond and then it was like if so if you know all of these things and like you know go ahead and sleep train your kid you're making an informed decision um but what was my main point you had said something that led me here yeah Um, about like wanting to sleep on your own does that come from childhood Right. So when I read it, I was never sleep trained. Like I, I was not sleep trained. Um, my brother was also not sleep trained. Um, I have been to therapy for a variety of reasons. <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, my mom rocked us to sleep and she, <laughs> she cuddled us. She was very like, you know, which again, on the flip side of it, there's also a whole bunch of studies out there that show like a lack of boundaries could potentially screw up your kids. So it's like, we're, you yeah. know, like, like, Where's the line for all of this? But um, but yeah, I was never sleep trained and I very much do like to be left alone when I'm sleeping. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's really interesting. So your mum rocked you to sleep. So you and weren't going I, to sleep on your own. Yeah, and I remember sleeping with her like well into toddler and like early childhood. Like I would go mm-hmm. into their room in the night. I remember my dad being like, we're gonna close the door and my mom would come in and she would sleep with me. Like that was a whole thing. They never did any kind of sleep training. Um. So, you know. Yeah. And you've still been to therapy. And like, <laughs> this, that's what I mean. Like sleep, co-sleeping is not the answer to everyone's like things. Yeah. And I've been to therapy loads as well. Like therapy is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's so many moving parts to parenthood. There, we're going to step on a landmine somewhere. And I'm fair. I can, again, I don't know everything, but I'm fairly confident that sleep training is not what we're gonna land our kids in therapy for there's gonna be something let's else. hope so I mean there's gonna be that there, there's definitely gonna be something and like it might be sleep training but it might be something else we've just got to like save save a little bank account for that now for yeah. therapy yeah, yeah I, exactly. I don't have the bank account but I have the notes like okay I tried my best this day you <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm ready to yeah. come in guns blazing to defend yeah. <laughs> that's such a, I'm gonna start doing that <laughs> this day yeah <laughs> anyway yeah right let's Let's do another couple of questions if it's okay. Um, So how this relates to me, but it's from another, it's from a listener. How on earth do you stop bed refusal in a three and a half year old? Yeah, I love working with toddlers, by the way. And I'm really excited because I'm working on something that I'm hoping is going to be done in the next two or three months um, for toddlers. I think that the cool part is that you can communicate with them. Um, I'm not sure, again, like all of this, I I like to know what the whole moving parts are, right? Like, is was there a new daycare situation that prompted all of this? Like, it, there could be some sort of a, emotional reason behind this kind of stuff. Um, but otherwise, there you can kind of talk to your child on the front end about these things, which whatever whatever approach you do take with a toddler, you're going to have to prepare them in advance. So there can be something as like, as uh, gentle, I guess would be the words, or as hands-on as like the camp out method, which is a very like toddler specific, I feel like it works well with toddlers, 
where you would say to your child, I'm not sure what's happening at the start of the night with this family. I'm not sure if they end up in bed with their child, if their child is coming into their bed, I'm not sure, but I'm just going to make the assumption that like the parent has to stay in there until their child falls asleep. Um, if that's the case, they can set a boundary in a very slow and gradual way where they say, okay, mommy's been lying in your bed with you, but I'm not going to be doing that anymore. I'm going to sit in a chair next to your bed and we can hold hands, right? Talk to them about it in advance and then slowly work on moving your, your chair away from the child or even sometimes halfway through the room. You can say, okay, like, you know, I'm going to go and even prepping them again during waking hours. Like mommy's going to sit in the chair tonight, but I also am going to take a little break and clean the kitchen and come back. Right. And prepping them in advance, even practicing it, practicing with dolls, having the child be the parent and put the the baby to bed. Like there are all these ways that you can kind of just prep them. Um, And then you get to a point where you're moving out the door and that's like a very gentle, gradual way to do it. But setting that boundary in advance, there are also more extreme cases where, you know, I, there's, um, there's a name of a lady, I'm forgetting the parenting coach, but she calls them the spicy ones. I feel like my older daughter is a spicy one. And so (laughs) boundaries are still very important with them, but they aren't going to click as like the sleep stuff isn't going to get fixed as easily because if you give them an inch, they kind of want to take a mile. There are those personalities. Uh, So if that's the case, you could do something that is, and again, like this sounds really terrible, but it it comes down to setting a boundary with your kid, which we feel so comfortable doing everywhere else in our life except Mm -hmm. bedtime. Um, But explaining to your child ahead of time, like, right, mommy has been sitting in your room until you've fallen asleep. We're not doing that anymore. Uh, I'm going to stay outside of your door and I'm going to check on you every couple minutes, right? You can cuddle with one of mommy's shirts, right? Give them choice where you can um, and talk about this, act it out in advance, which by the way, the toddler might be totally game and on board during waking hours. Be like, okay, yes, like totally. You're going to stay outside the door. Got this mom. And then at bedtime, they're they're not going to agree to this. So it is going to come down to setting a boundary, having some sort of script, like, so you're not getting emotionally charged up, uh, stepping in and saying like, you're doing a good job. It's bedtime. You can cuddle mommy's shirt, stepping away and then coming back like every couple minutes until your child kind of simmers down. But in my opinion, that it because you've prepped them in advance, because you've acted it out with them, because you've told them this is this is the boundary I'm setting for you. Like it's not, this is not child abuse to, no. to set a boundary it's, with your child. No. Like, yeah. And it's so, not a shock to them at bedtime either. Like you've prepped them for this. They know what's happening. If they're pushing against it, that's them asking for that boundary perhaps, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, there are also, I mean, there are a bunch of different ways you could gamify bedtime too. Like um, kids this age, especially my oldest, like she's very, I feel like she's type A and she definitely doesn't get it from me. Um, but she really likes calendars and charts and things like that. So sometimes even just having like a bedtime chart, starting as simply as that without setting a boundary, right? Like bedtime chart, last bit is to get into your bed and mommy leaves or something like that. And they have to put a yeah. sticker or check off, like they're in charge of that. And practicing that with them during the day, sometimes that helps. Um, But I do want to also reassure the person who posted this, that this is like, your child has not been possessed by demonic spirits. Like this is very normal and super healthy, actually, for your child to be begging for these boundaries, like to do this pushback. Like it's a very normal thing. Sorry that yeah. did you hear that bing from my text messaging. I oh, no, I didn't actually. Don't worry. No, that's really, no, it's fine. That's um really interesting that you say that. And actually I listened to a really good podcast by Janet Langsbury. Do you know, have you heard of her? Oh, but, well, she's, but she 
kind of made putting boundaries in much more okay for me because she said when a child when you put in a boundary and a child cries and and has a meltdown because of it you're literally like they're asking you for that and you're allowing them to like release their big feelings about it and I think this is so true at bedtime like they probably have loads of pent-up feelings from the day and that's part of what's going on here is like they need to release these big feelings in order to then settle into sleep yeah Yeah. And honestly, like even just for the whole realm of toddlerhood where we constantly have to set these boundaries and it's so exhausting. And I feel like Mm -hmm. maybe it's hardest around bedtime because we're so spent from holding boundaries like all day long. Um, Not only like is there proven benefit, like it makes them feel safe. They know you're the adult. They're not running the show, which is a lot to put on like a three-year-old. There's a whole bunch of emotional benefit to laying down boundaries, but you're also teaching them that they can set boundaries when they're adults. Like you're giving them an example of that. You don't want your child to be somebody who's going to be like, a you know, a pushover or is going to ignore their own wants and needs for the sake of somebody else. Like blurred boundaries can be a weird and dangerous thing. So um, those are, that's just my, my thoughts. On yeah, it. no, I think that's Whatever. so true. Like, I think that's so true. I mean, that is so much of what we're learning, isn't it? That like, we have to basically be, strong in ourselves so that our kids see that and like then become these strong resilient people we have to be those people like you what you the kids don't listen to what you say they listen they look at what yeah. you do or you know all of that yep totally totally yeah so so no yeah. that's really interesting so and so basically for that woman like if you could give her like one line of what she should do are you saying like maybe try the like hand holding thing and so gradually Yeah. Either it's setting a boundary, however she feels comfortable, whether it's a gradual, like, you know, a boundary every day where she's moving slowly, slowly, or if it's like full on, like, Hey, listen, this is what we're doing at bedtime now. Like, I love you. We'll have a timed cuddle, whatever. So however she sets the boundary is up to her and her comfort level. But I think this, this just sounds like boundary stuff. Yeah. 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 No, that's really, thank you. That's amazing. And then, um, so we've said about the early waking, we said, okay, there's one here. So there's a lot of people kind of with three and a half to four-year-olds who are having problems. So this one says, my son is nearly four. He wakes up in the middle of the night, sad, angry, and shouty. I try and be gentle and kind, but can feel myself getting angry. How do I stop him doing this? Also, my husband is currently sleeping on his floor as we have finally got him out of our bed. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, so the husband is sleeping on the floor. The child is still waking up angry. Is the I, I would want to know if the dad is staying in there all night. I wonder if maybe, right? I think maybe what's happening is like they're starting off in their own beds and then he's waking up. So then the husband goes and sleeps on the floor. This is what we do if my older child wakes um, mm-hmm. like in this manner. So yeah, I would, I would go with that. Okay. Um, I would also want to know how the child is falling asleep at the start of the night. Um, mm. Because sometimes, like if the dad is sleeping on the floor at the start of the night and then the child is, because it's normal, it's normal for everybody to wake up in the night, to wake up between sleep cycles. Like our goal is just that we are able to put ourselves back to sleep um, independently. So if the dad is staying on the floor at the start of the night And then the child is waking up in the middle of the night and is, you know, sad and confused and angry that the dad is not there. Um, Then what the issue might be is 
is setting a boundary around the start of the night, which would kind of, I would kind of shoot them back to what we just talked about, like setting some, some sort of boundary at the start where, you know, in this case, camp out method might not work so well because it sounds like that's kind of what they're doing. So they might need to be a little bit firmer um, and give control to the child where they can, like whether it's a bedtime chart, choosing what comfort object to sleep with, uh, deciding how long dad gets to cuddle in the room before he steps away. Um, so something like that, where they set a boundary at the start of the night. Otherwise, I would also want to know if the child is napping, uh, if the mm -hmm. child is going to sleep independently at the start of the night, if they're taking a nap during the day and then it, they're waking up in the night, it could be they're getting too much day sleep. Uh, and it might be time to drop the nap. That could be something that remedies it on its own. And then third path, there are probably a million other paths we could go down. But for the sake of time, if the child's going to sleep on their own at the start of the night, no issue, not napping. So and they're going to bed at like a reasonable time, which would be another thing. If they're going to bed, if they're not napping and going to bed at like eight or nine o'clock, then I would say back up bedtime. This could be an overtired thing. Um but if all of that is in place, all parts are great, and this is just some fluke where the child is waking up in the middle of the night, then you're going to have to set a boundary around that middle of the night wake up also, where the dad is going to have to do kind of what I mentioned before, where it's like, okay, dad, dad's been lying on the floor in the middle of the night. Uh, he's not going to be doing that anymore. Talk about this ahead of time, acting mm -hmm. it out, all of that stuff, prepping the child, and then, um, and then you know, potentially every couple minutes checking in from the door saying like, it's time to sleep and just reminding him that it's time to sleep, doing what you practice during the day. Um, that's like a more extreme method. There are other ways that you can, you can go about it. You could try the chair method and all that stuff, but I, I would check the schedule. I would check how he's falling asleep at the start of the night. And then I would check on how you're approaching that middle of the night, wake mm -hmm. up and change it. So just be a bit more, you might have to just be a bit kind of strict you know just a bit more not stricter but like like you say a bit kind of firmer about that boundary that you're not yeah okay no it's really really interesting because we have this a bit with my daughter like some but it tends to be you know it's like a fluke like every couple yeah. of weeks you'll have a nightmare or something Which but is then normal. is that normal I mean it can but then be yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I'm no, sorry. <laughs> but but then my but then one of us has to go and sleep in her room, like on the floor, because we don't let her into our bed because we're like, once we do that once, she's gonna do that. She's like spicy, mm -hmm. give an yeah. inch, she'll take a mile. Yeah. Um, so if we did that once, she would just want to do that every night. So um yeah, is that but then she seems really spooked, like she seems really freaked out. So that's why mm -hmm. we don't tend to leave her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, that's, there are cases where my youngest has had like a nightmare or something and we're going to do something. She, she won't take a mile, my oldest will. And so we'll sometimes bring her into our room to calm her down or whatever. Like if it's not an ongoing issue, it's just, I think anxieties and things like that. It's just a normal part of development with toddlers, with young kids. Um, so I, if it's not becoming an ongoing problem, if she's not asking you to sleep on her floor every single night and no. you guys with that then I don't I think it's probably going to be something she outgrows um I wouldn't make it a big stimulating thing um but in the case you're also bringing up a, a valid point that there there are fears and anxieties that crop up so anywhere that you can set them up for success like if I don't know if your child has a nightlight you could ask in in you know in the other child's situation the person who posted the question having something that's going to help make them feel secure asking them if they want, like my kids sleep with my shirts. My oldest finally That's said, really I think I'm too, I'm too old for so this. I'm nice. like, sure. 
<laughs> but they have one mommy shirt and one daddy shirt that they sleep with. And that's like, you know, something that we gave them the choice. Like you can choose any one of these shirts and you can sleep with that and you can cuddle that in the middle of the night. They have a nightlight, like anything that's going to make them feel secure, set that up. Um, and then remind them of that, like in the middle of the night, right? Like you can cut, give them something they can do. You can cuddle your lovey. You can cuddle mommy's shirt. Like I'm right next door. I love you. I, I'll be back to check on you. And you step away and you come back mm -hmm. and you can do it again. So there's a way to do that supportively, setting the boundary supportively, which is an alignment, mm -hmm. gentle parenting, by the way, is setting yeah. boundaries in a supportive way. Oh, a hundred percent. Like, yeah, it's so confused now, isn't it? Like gentle, respectful, conscious, all of those and the lines mm -hmm. between of what they all are are very blurred. But yeah, no, that's really interesting. And what, at what stage, what age would you say like it's okay to have a nightlight? Because am I right in thinking that with babies, you kind of want it really dark mm -hmm. and yes. then, so you'd wait till toddlers and they're very aware and that's giving them comfort. I usually go by the rule if they if they ask for it, which some kids might not even know what a nightlight is. But our sign for my oldest was that she was asking us to keep the door open. There was like a a struggle at the start of the night. Oh, I remember those days. That was traumatizing. But it was always a struggle <laughs> about keeping the door open. And we had to do, play this game where it's like, okay, we're keeping it this open tonight, right? It was like, yes, that was telling me she probably <laughs> needed some element of like, control or she was having some anxieties, whatever. And so that's when we introduced um, a nightlight and it made a difference. We're like, okay, we're not keeping the door open, but you do get this. And so that was the negotiation. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what happened with us as well. I guess you just know when you can do a nightlight and when you can't, yeah. it becomes pretty clear, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, really? Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you. And I just wanted to share my one little if everything else fails, sleep tip that we have found with my daughter, which is find their currency for bribery. So <laughs> like, <laughs> my daughter went through this phase of early waking and she's always slept quite late. She likes a lion. Mm. Um, and we were like, what is going on? And luckily we were getting sleep, having a sleep consultant with my son. And I, I just asked her, I said, what should I do? And she was like, because my daughter basically will do anything for sugar literally yeah. anything so um she was like tell her if she stays in bed till her grow clock goes green then she can have sprinkles on her breakfast and honestly this has been working for the last <laughs> six weeks and even sometimes when she's bed refusing a little bit but I know she's not actually upset I'll say you need to get in your bed now if you want sprinkles on your breakfast and she's like okay <laughs> so I know it's probably like not, you know, very good emotionally for them. But if you've just had enough um, yeah. and you just need them to get into bed and you need them to sleep later, just find their currency. Like that's really handy as a parenting tip anyway, generally, isn't it? When you need quick results. Sometimes bribery is best. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I oftentimes like, you know, there's that again, goes back to an episode that you should totally do about just like the chaos that is parenting in the modern world with all this access to so much information. But, like, you know, on the flip side of everything, everybody's saying like, you're not supposed to use right food as a, or like food as a motivator or, you know, rewards. Like you're, you're not teaching them um, intrinsic motivation. If there's some kind of like rewards, it's such a mucky world. Yeah, now. That. You just have to, you have to decide as a parent <laughs> what you feel is best. And honestly, we like, I'm, I'm remembering, which by the way, this is a tip for toddlers too. We did this thing that I used to use with seventh graders when I taught middle school. Um, 
I call it the fishbowl technique. And we got this plastic fishbowl, which I wish I brought it so that I could actually show it. Um, with my oldest daughter, we were having like behavioral issues around bedtime because she's a spicy one. And so I don't see the difference between this and anything else that's like bribery, but I would take colorful pom-poms. I, I set limits, right? Like there were goalposts, like with Sharpie on this plastic fishbowl. Yeah. And it was like, if you do X, Y, Z at bedtime, we, you, you know, you get into bed, you go to sleep, you don't call for mommy and daddy, like, you know, 700 cups of water, all of that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> You get a handful of these colorful pom-poms and the goal is to fill it up to get to the top. And then we have a celebration, right? And celebrations yeah. oftentimes include food. We could have a donut party, right? Like, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so having those motivators is super like, it is, it's crucial, right? That like, sounds amazing that like, yeah, that per, per, uh, pom-pom reward system. That sounds great. I'm going to do that. It's uh, it's fun. It's really fun. And I feel like I made the mistake uh, of, especially with my spicy one, where I would take pom-poms away and it, it, it very quickly, like I learned that's not what you do. What you can do is say to them, like, we're not getting pom-poms tonight, but you can try again tomorrow. That's like how we ended up spinning it. Um, so then everything kind of stays positive. Every Everybody feels mm-hmm. good about it. So even with the people that you had mentioned, the three and four-year-olds, I think there were three and four, the yeah. questions, like using that technique in whatever way would seem fit for them, right? If you stay in your bed until your hatch light or your grow light or whatever goes off, then we you can take a handful of pom-poms and put them in the fishbowl yeah. in the morning. And it's like, it's a very positive thing. So that's, that could be a gimmicky way to not have to set the boundary and deal with the the big feelings. Like it's the flip side of that. So yeah, that's it. And like, you know, I guess some people would say that sort of reward system is a bit old school, but actually like sometimes you just need results, don't you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if something becomes, what is it, like 30 days and it makes a habit or something like that, like if if you stay consistent with this, honestly, there was no time where my, like we stopped using the fishbowl and they stopped asking for it. And it wasn't like, it wasn't this thing that we have to still do with our kids. Like it loses its luster and then the habit is just in place. And that's, yeah. what, you know. Yeah, that's absolutely it. Like, I do think that there is a place for brides in parenting. <laughs> I really do. Um, yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for answering those questions. My gosh, this has literally been so, it's so interesting. And I think all parents are just going to absolutely lap this up. Like basically every bit of information that you can hear about sleep that's going to help you. We're all just crazy for it, I think. Um, So thank (laughs) you so much. Of course. Yes. So, oh my gosh, so helpful. Before we go, could you, I've got two questions to ask you personally. So one of them is, could you tell us a parenting confession, something that you might be ashamed of, something that's happened? It can be anything. Yeah. I actually thought about making this one a reel, but I don't know. I mean, we'll start here. Why not start on a podcast? Because I'm like, I don't think I'm alone in this stuff. Um, I do have to like, to make it even like funnier, even though it's like a really messed up thing. We have a neighbor next door who's a little bit nosy. Um, she, <laughs> and I think she might be a little bit racist, um, but she's wow. like, she's called me before and has been like, you know, somebody's parked outside at the house and they look like a gangbanger. I was like, what, you know, I'll call her Barbara. That'll be her name. I was like, Barbara, what is a yeah. gang? Like, what do you mean? He looks like a gangbanger. Like we live <laughs> in suburbia. I don't think. And she's like, should I call the police? So whatever. She's very, very nosy. And there was one time where like, honestly, I, 
there, there have been fights that have happened between me and my husband where I'm like, okay, I get it. If somebody is like, we're yelling pretty loud, right? In the yeah. past, we've made a lot of progress. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> You've got three kids, like, come on. Yeah, we only had like one. We've, we've learned, we've learned like better communication skills. We have our trauma from our childhood, whatever. Like we've worked on our relationship regardless. Anyway, this particular night, my daughter was almost three. I was pregnant with my second. And I guess my husband, yeah, he he speaks Hebrew, so he yelled uh, like "Mia die," which means stop in Hebrew, like you know to stop playing games at bedtime. This was during <laughs> the door phase, um, and the police showed up at our door, like literally, like ten minutes later. They knocked, and they were like, "There was a domestic disturbance." I was like, "We literally just like we yelled to stop it. It was close to our neighbor's house, right?" So this is the backstory where I know, I know it was her. She called the police. Yeah. To come in. I was like, sure, let's ruin all the hard work I got to get my daughter down and stop asking for things. Um, oh and my goodness. So the story of deep shame for me was that my husband was out of town for two weeks. I'm talking more than I should at this point, huh? Like, no, not at all. You're great. <laughs> but uh, my husband was out of town for two weeks. I was en- at the end of my parenting rope and I was teaching at the time. I had to drive 30 minutes away. I also had to get both of my kids to to their respective schools, two different places on time and get to work on time. And so all the whole morning, my older daughter is complaining, like my my shoes are uncomfortable. Like these are uncomfortable. It's like, okay, Mia, so change your shoes, change your shoes. Oh, they're they're uncomfortable. Okay, so change your shoes, Mia. The shoes are in the coffee. You can change your shoes. You can change your shoes. And I'm trying, I'm trying to get ready, right? We're trying to get out the door. Um, and we make it into the car. And she didn't even complain at this point. She just made a noise. Like, and I'm two weeks deep in solo parenting. And she goes, like, and moving her feet. And I just, something snapped. And I reached around and I grabbed the shoes off of her feet. And I threw them out the window. (laughs) We were parked still. So, of course, like, immediately I regret this. I stepped out of the car. And out comes Barbara. Oh, Barbara. (laughs) We do this. I'm like a... Hi, like I'm having a hard time. Jeff is out of town. <laughs> I took her shoes, gave her shoes back. We repaired the situation. Mommy shouldn't have done that. Blah blah blah. All all the stuff. Like <laughs> that is a moment that sticks out to me. And I'm like, she's gonna bring me to therapy for that one. Oh. <laughs> it's not sleep training her. It's throwing her shoes out the window. <laughs> Oh, do you know what though? Like we have literally all been there. Sometimes it's not about the shoes. Like it's just, you just need a break. And like the shoes are just a straw that breaks the camel's back. We've all been there. I totally can relate to that. But that's so annoying that Barbara came out at the exact time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. So that's your parenting confession. And then if you were to have a free night, child-free evening, what would wow. you do with it? Oof. Um, wow. Like your kids are literally staying at someone else's house. You've got yeah. the whole evening. Yeah, it's really bad, but like I would do nothing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think uh, someone commented on one of my reels about motherhood, like all these balls, the balls being thrown at us that we have to try to juggle. And they're like, this is why when we have a moment alone, we just want to stare at a wall and drool. Yes. And I was like, yes, that's <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's what it is. Like I, I would scroll social media. Maybe I'd read a book. I would eat cookies without like without waiting until after bedtime because I want to just eat them myself <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. so I wouldn't do anything fancy I would just I would just enjoy the silence of my home 
just like and not the worry that someone's about to come down the stairs and go mommy I need a drink yeah I completely get that that sounds blissful yeah. 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 Uh, what would you do with a parent, a, a child free night? Child free night. Exactly the same. I think I would just literally like watch some trash telly and eat loads of chocolate, like you say, without like hiding it in the cupboard, hoping yeah. that my daughter hasn't noticed <laughs> while I snaffle it in before bedtime. Um, I'd actually enjoy it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do exactly the same. Like I I would probably I you know, I I'd, I'd love to have the idea that I'd would like pamper myself, but basically you're too tired like as soon as they're in bed or they're gone, you're just like, yeah. 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 And if it, you get to spin, I might as well stay up late watching the trashy TV. That's probably that's probably yeah. what. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You haven't got that fear of the morning and what time yeah. it's going to start. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, thank you so much, Eleni. It's been, you have been honestly amazing. Like you are a natural to this and you should absolutely set up your own podcast. Promise I'll listen. I talk too much. (laughs) You don't talk too much. You talk the perfect amount. (laughs) Thank you for having me. This is always fun. Um, I'm excited to hear it. And I, I want to, you said that you're fairly new at this, but I want to hear what else you've posted. Like, have you, do you have other episodes that you started with? Yeah. Yeah. So I've had um, an episode with a love, I've, I'm always doing it like an interview at the moment, but I'm, I really liked what we did tonight with the like listeners sending questions and then yeah. we answer them. I think that's a really good setup. So might do some more of that. I mean, I have done a bit of that, but this was kind of heavier on that. Uh, so we had um, building your mum community. So with like a, a an expert, so she runs something called the mum club, which is what a um a franchise that brings mums together basically new mums um so that was really interesting because it can be really hard to make friends I don't know if you found yeah. that yeah no it yeah. is it is it's quite it can be really isolating can't it and then I've also done an episode um with a midwife about pregnancy birth um and like everything to do with the NHS over here it was quite it didn't mean to get political, but it did get a little, it was very interesting to hear her perspective of what it's actually like to work in the NHS as a midwife. Um, so yeah, no, it's great. And basically yeah. where's the best place for people to find you? Instagram, sleep coach, mom. Yeah. Um, yes, share links but, to it. Yeah. I have, it's at sleep.coach.mom on Instagram. Yeah. I feel like that's where I'm the most active. However, if somebody wanted to work one-on-one with me, the best way to reach me is through my email, which is my first name, E-L-L-A-N-E-E, Eleni at sleepcoachmom.com. Um, because I feel like DMs get buried sometimes. And then I feel such guilt when I dig them up like months later. And I'm like, oh my God, you were struggling with sleep and I didn't see it. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, oh, so that's get buried. Like email will be fine. And you can work with people in the UK, like the time difference actually probably works quite well for you, doesn't it? Because you can do it it in the day to their night. It does. I've worked with people in Germany, Prague, Norway. Um, Where else have I worked with people? So I'm I'm just now starting with someone who's in Switzerland. So it's been all over the place. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. You're absolutely amazing. And I love your Instagram. Like I I watch it every day. Keep being you because it's great. (laughs) thanks I'm excited to give all of your future podcasts a listen too this is this is cool stuff you're doing it's awesome thank you thank you so much right take care too we'll talk soon yeah definitely bye thank you bye so that was the incredible Eleni. I absolutely loved her. We got on so well. It was so natural and she's just fantastic so if you are struggling with sleep and 
you think that you need some support in whatever way that might be it does not mean leaving your child in a room on their own to scream if that's what not what you want um then go and check her out because she will definitely change your life a hundred percent I have no doubt about that okay this talking from somebody who has been in the depths of sleep deprivation for years I was really anti-sleep training with my first I was like no 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 that's so cruel I'm gonna mess her up for life and then it honestly saved my life just knowing that that is there that the help is out there just makes all the difference so yeah anyway thank you so much guys have a brilliant rest of your day lots of love 